0: Welcome back to Kafaru Cast, everyone. I'm uh, your uh, solo host today, Aaron Snyder. Frank took today out. He's fletching arrows, uh, and I've got uh, a really cool guest who uh, I've kind of followed along for for many years. Uh, Paul Navarre. you you uh, are originally from Michigan, moved out west, and uh, at seventy eight years old, how old are you?
1: Well, I'm I'll be
0: I'll be seventy eight
1: next month, March seventh.
0: So almost 78 years old, uh, crazy solo, do-it-yourself backpack hunter. You've killed the Colorado Big Eight, uh, CBA board member for eight years? Yes. Eight years. Uh, a bunch of other stuff I can't really remember, but I, I initially saw you on Bow Um And you're in charge of the, the banquet basically this year as well for the CBA. Is that correct? That is really true.
1: Yeah, okay. the banquet's next uh, month on March uh, 16th and 17th in Fort Collins at the Marriott Hotel.
0: Gotcha. So you and you, you hunt with a compound and a stick bow. Uh, I would say that what I know you most for is the the solo hunts, which is super cool. Especially you're still getting after it at, at 78. Um, so yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: Well, I grew up in Ohio, and uh, back in 1940. So uh, just think about this: uh, it was uh, dial-up phones, party lines, and didn't have our first 12-inch black and white television until I was 12. Yeah. <laughs> so just think about all the social media and electronics available today. Uh, about myself uh, re- grew up in a rural area, li- lived on Lake Erie, uh, traveled up and down the beach, uh, shotgunning crows and catching snapping turtles and trapping muskrats and and raccoons for uh, you know a, a buck and a quarter a hide and make a little pocket money uh, would hitchhike the school of two miles and played football and little bit of basketball and ran track and always tried to save, save, you know, be physically in shape and uh, didn't know it at the time, but that's, I was sort of an athlete at the time and had a good time, graduated from here on High on Lake Erie in 1958 and went in the Air Force for four years, stationed in the upper peninsula of Michigan where I actually killed my first white white-tailed doe with a recurve bow that I bought at the base BX. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: so when did you move to Colorado? Trisha and
1: I uh, moved here in uh, uh, 1992 from Ohio, yes. My kids were out of college, my daughter married, and uh, I had been a sales rep for a large furniture company at the time and could give that up, and we came out here and bought a tourist lodge on Lake Granby, and we ran a bed and breakfast restaurant tavern for 10 years, and I was right there on Lake Granby, able to catch some nice
0: three-foot lake trout and then be right there in Elk Area, so right in the thick thing. So you so and you've killed the Colorado Big Eight. So explain um, what uh, basically what that entails. Well, we're very fortunate here in
1: Colorado to have 10 big game species plus a variety of small game. So if you look at the 10 big game species, you have two species of deer, mule deer and whitetail. And then you have the high mountain animals like bighorn sheep and mountain goat. Uh, You have your elk, you have your pronghorn, you have uh, your bear. And most of those bears here are color phased or we don't have any grizzlies in Colorado anymore. And then you take the bighorn sheep and the mountain goat. And then those are the big eight. And then the two hard to get ones is the desert bighorn sheep, which are only about 10 tags a year. And uh, the moose tag, which is difficult. You have 12,000 people applying for a couple hundred moose tags and
0: and there's also mountain lion, correct?
1: And mountain lion, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I've taken those eight. Yeah, gotcha. yeah.
0: The um yeah, I've been on several moose hunts here and uh the moose population here is definitely not only growing, but producing what I feel we will have the top ten chirus moose in the next uh, maybe top top five to ten in the next five to ten years. We'll be covering the Shirus Moose uh uh, and so as far as size goes, uh, there is massive moose everywhere in Colorado and the population's only growing. And some of the units that 10 years ago I was in, you hardly saw moose. We've got them on game cameras now, just kind of keeping track. It's kind of a neat for me to be able to see them when I'm not there. So we don't really use the game cameras for hunting, but we definitely, even though sometimes I leave them up for elk, I'm a lot more excited when I'm seeing giant moose walk in front of them. Um, and the Granby is about as good as you can get from a moose area. So.
1: True. And historically, they planted them in sort of in the Granby Walden area over 25 years ago. And I remember when I moved to Colorado in uh, the early 90s, there was only about 900 to 1,000 moose. And now they're guesstimating there's at least 2,000. And yet, you're right. They are spreading out and they're opening up new opportunities in a variety of even the front range areas. And for an example, we're going to talk about the CBA in a little bit. But one of the founding fathers, Marv Clinky. Mm-hmm. killed his moose last year with his uh, recurve bow. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Marvin and I are the same age and he's still out getting after him. And there you go. So, the Division of Wildlife, now we know it as Parks and Wildlife, are dedicated people yeah. to to develop habitat and wildlife management. And the difficult part for them, I'll just say this briefly, is that there's only so much pie to go around and everybody wants a bigger piece. And yeah. so uh, CBA is out looking for you know, more opportunities and muzzle muzzleloaders are and rifle hunters are. And then you have the non hunters that want to enjoy Colorado because uh, all the wildlife in Colorado belong to all the state people. So you have a, a mixed bag of, of interests out there and uh, it's difficult for the division in many cases to manage not only wildlife, but the people and how they you can give
0: everybody a fair share. Oh yeah, for sure. And I I would say, and I've hunted not every state, but much like yourself, a lot of them, Colorado does a very, very good job. You have people complain. There's a few things here and there that I'm sure people would pop up to change, but overall we have very good numbers in just about every species, um, you know, and that, that's from mountain goats all the way down. Um, you know, sometimes obviously numbers change for, for one reason or another, but the Colorado does very, very good as far as, uh, tag allocation, taking care of, you know, I think they were very smart when you can't hunt weekends for mountain goats in a few different units because the people is so, you know, there's so many people hiking and, you know, you, you take a perspective of a of a non-hunter or an anti and, and you know, you see a, a white fluffy goat on the side of a mountain to a hunter that's desensitized and you, you see it get shot and you you take it apart and take it all out to a hunter. That's a very thrilling and exciting Uh, you know thing it's part of the adventure to an anti or a non-hunter it could go either way that might be some catastrophic shell shocking shit that goes on that they don't ever want to see again so i think they're very smart with some of the things they do i'm i'm actually all for uh, i've gotten a lot of flack from it but i I like the idea of giving animals a break and 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 not allowing shed hunting uh for till you have certain dates those animals get run hard they need a break and i think it was very smart of them to to do that
1: and no doubt about that. I started, when I was the division liaison between CBA and the division, I went to, I took it very seriously. I wanted to represent the CBA members of which we have about 3,000. But I also wanted to represent all the bow hunters in Colorado. And so I took it very seriously. I was retired at the time. I had writing skills. I could head listening skills. I could sit down and testify in behalf of CBA because I was the, as the CBA is, the eyes, ears, and voice for bow hunters in Colorado, particularly our membership. And I would go to a lot of these meetings and some of the things we're talking about, about shed collection, about uh, uh, not doing weekend hunts in some areas. We have to be sensitive to those people who are out there just exploring uh, the the outer doors and the wildlife and and maybe they're not hunters. The the interesting thing about non-hunters in Colorado is that they support hunting because I remember the Division of Wildlife did some surveys and they asked these people, do you support hunting do you understand what hunting is all about and the vast majority said as long as it's fair chase as long as as the animals are being utilized Mm -hmm. their meat just not trophy hunters and i tell people i don't know any just trophy hunters everybody i know loves the big game it's like a supermarket out there and we go out and we kill and process and eat our own animals but we have to be sensitive to some of the people that are non-hunters and uh I think we are, and I think most hunters are that way.
0: No, and uh, we talk a lot about on this podcast and and as well, I I was a co-host on Gritty Bowman about the perception of hunting and how you want to be portrayed and to make sure that you're mindful of that all the time. Um, One of the things for me being a photographer, that has led a lot of people on social media to ask questions just because of my photography. It's not all of animals. It's of everything. For people that may be in mid-road or non uh, or anti-hunting to ask the question and, and and there's initial bond there because of photography for them to at least allow a conversation about hunting and for me to explain, well, it's not, you know, we're not just shooting, t- you know, taking shots out of the side of the truck. You know, I'm a bow hunter um, and this is how it works. And the same thing we're on the side of a mountain when I run into somebody that's kind of miffed that there's a guy in camo with a weapon eight miles in. We end up becoming friends because I'm like, well, no, I'm not just taking the head. I pack the whole animal out, and this is how we do it. Um, and it's very intriguing to them once they kind of figure out the system and 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 the 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 way that we, we portray hunting and, and portray ourselves is is more important now, in my opinion, than ever because. Um, we are losing numbers in, in hunting. Numbers of hunters are going down in Colorado. I talked to the division wife pretty frequently about this and converting people, showing them about fishing, about you know grouse, pheasant, duck, geese, big game hunting, that uh, is kind of being a, a lost trade to some degree is important. Well, and I
1: think that is true, and there's a lot of social reasons why that's happening, why we're getting less hunters in the field. I remember as a kid in Ohio... After, uh, you know, I'd play football on Friday night and Saturday morning, I'd grab my bike and my 22 (laughs) and I'd be, I'd pedal a mile across the interstate. Well, they didn't even have interstate. So let's say the state highway and I'd go down a county road carrying my gun. Nobody was calling 911 saying some crazed teenagers with a rifle is heading for the high school. Yeah, Like just unfortunately happened in Florida. Um So things were much more open then. And if I went on Farmer Joe's property, he said, oh, there's just one of the guys hunting. That's no big big deal. You could Mm -hmm. walk to railroad tracks. Now you can't do that because it's private property. So I think the the lack of opportunities out there for your normal city-bound kid, Mm -hmm. maybe in a one-parent family, maybe a family that has never hunted before is getting more difficult. The opportunities are hard out there. For a guy like me, who came to Colorado, retired, but bought a business here, uh, national forests, no boundaries on fence lines, you could just go and hunt. Mm -hmm. And it was wonderful. And even out east along the state wildlife areas, there's some opportunities. So I think it's become more difficult. And then of course, with social media also, um, even in some of the schools, unfortunately, kids are being preached at against hunting that's mm-hmm. bad. I, I see that. I don't have any... Yeah, I see that happening. Uh, I hear that happening. So that's unfortunate. But uh, but I think we're fortunate in Colorado that we have uh, a large population of people that understand what hunting is, even though they don't
0: hunt. Right. Yeah, yeah and that's important. And I, I know, like, what you bring up schools, my, my daughter's 16. And uh, all of her friends follow my social media pages, her teachers follow it. And even that every little bit helps, right? Just one, you know, chip at a time where they know my daughter and she's normal. She does well in school. She looks, they look at these photos and uh, they will, it entertains a question, right? It, It opens up a potential where you can, you can convert an anti to a mid road or a mid road to a pro hunting where if you can describe it and they don't see what for maybe some reasons, it's TV shows or or whatever the case it may have been that have given them this idea that we're all a bunch of bloodthirsty animals that just take the head out. Well, you come to my house, you see quickly I have three deep freezers, and everybody's stealing my wild game. It's pretty easy to see, and I I don't mount my animals, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but they perceive pretty quickly like that saves a lot of money. And then as we're eating, you know, elk stroganoff that night, they're like, "Wow, this is really good." My My fiance's mother was an anti when I, you know, this is a year ago. She hated hunting and she took a bunch of my moose home with her uh, when she left to, well, when they went down to Arizona, she wouldn't even think about eating wild game, but it was more the perception in her mind of it than it was the, she ate beef. She wasn't a vegan or any, you know what I mean? She just didn't like the idea of someone killing the animal. Well, that was like a big step for me to get her to change over. And if I would have been a, would about it. It wouldn't have sure. happened. I was very, you know, had very common sense about well, it. Well, years
1: ago, we used had. to call that the Bandri- Bambi syndrome. Yeah, you know? that's exactly what yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah. And of course, my response to that is, well, I'm not after Bambi, I'm after his grandfather. Yeah, exactly. But I think, <laughs> I think, unfortunately, we were talking about some of the videographers over the, over the past years, some mm-hmm. of the people that the younger generation doesn't even know about. And very seldom do you see in any outdoor films them utilizing the meat, yeah, it's it's sort of like horn porn, yeah. pardon the yeah. expression. You, I just watched some videos. I I enjoy watching the videos. I enjoy seeing the animals react to various stimuli. Mm-hmm. Or, but I know sometimes they're set up on fields. Uh, there are food plots. There weren't any food plots around when I, there weren't any trail cameras back. You just kind of scouted and did your thing. Yeah, found the animals where they were. But now that they get an animal down. They they sit behind it and they only talk about us the horns. Yeah. They don't talk about how good this meat's going to be. I would love to see them say, "Man, look at I'm just salivating right now because I see these back straps and I'm thinking about wrapping them in bacon and cooking them meat and and have some vegetables and some red wine with it." But all they're talking about is is
0: horns. Well, I think that's changing somewhat. Okay. Um, well, no, I, I'm certainly not disagreeing with you. I'm agreeing with you 100. percent I think that. Um, I've gotten a lot of flack. I'm a horrible trophy hunter. Um, m- when I say that, mostly I don't even pack the horns out a lot. It was just horrible, I know, mm-hmm. but for me, or I'll come back and get them for me. I eat so much elk, mule deer, goat, whatever. That's kind of like my prime food source. Sure. So sure. for for me, it was kind of um well, I we just went to Alabama, we shot a bunch of does and I had several people come in. I can't believe you shoot still shoot does. And I was like, "Well, if the the landowner says there's too many does for they whatever they call QDMA basically, but yes. for the there's too many doughs on this property, they said they needed twenty taken off. I was I'm your man. I'm like yeah, I love that because we paid it was seventeen hundred dollars for the processing bill, but we had it all shipped back here for actually half of it was bacon wrap backstrap. Nice. And, and nice. Uh, what I try to explain to people is if you're buying turkey burger for ninety, I think it's five ninety nine a pound. And you're buying buffalo burger for $9.99 a pound. And then you're buying crappy beef or whatever it is a pound. Like right now, I probably have $20,000 of meat in my freezer. And, uh, you know, minus obviously the trip costs. That is huge for me. I mean, did it save me money because of what I paid for the hunts? I don't know. But it also, I'm fit. It's my lifestyle. I, I know I earned it. I know that I what that animal has been eating how it's been living and and I can't say for sure but I know as as a as a person I would rather not live my life in a cage and die by a stainless steel spear I'd rather live free and 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 and, and die in the wild
1: I agree with that 100% <laughs> so as I tell people you know we're shooting and green is possible or yeah. green is popular as a as a as a definition of our planet, green. Mm -hmm. We want to keep it green. Well, what's... And free-range. You go into a supermarket and there's free-range eggs, there's free-range this or that. There's uh, organic vegetables. Well, how much organic, free-range, antibiotic, anti-growth hormone animals can you have except wild animals that we hunt, whether they're elk or turkeys or deer or pronghorn? It's great stuff. I... I did the same thing. I was lucky enough to uh, get another coos deer down in Arizona last January, mm-hmm. my fifth one down there. And uh, then I went to Nebraska and had some close encounters with a couple bucks, but didn't get one, but ended up shooting this wonderful doe deer and uh, processed her in the field. Luckily she died only 200 yards from my truck. So I was able to just take the meat, got it on ice, took it home. The back straps were around 30 inches long, so I was able to cut those into three different sections. So I had six meals there. Yeah, We had people over for Christmas dinner, and I wrapped them in bacon and did it medium rare. First, I'd put a rub on them the night before. Mm-hmm. You could cut that meat with a fork. It was some of the other than Coos whitetail deer, which are delicious. Yeah. That doe whitetail from Nebraska was supreme. And uh, I'm just finishing off a whole batch of turkey rice soup. that, <laughs> And so wild game is delicious. Yeah. And I'll tell you a quick story. I go to the gym in Fort Collins probably every other day or every day just to stay fit. Because I love when I'm not bow hunting, I'm thinking about it. yeah, And I'm thinking year to year, can I still do what i like to do next year? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to stay as physically fit as I can. And we'll talk about that later. So a gal and her husband I know. She's a vegetarian. Well, I was walking in the front door with some goose jerky. Mm-hmm. So I shoot goose, geese with the bow and make their meat in the jerky. Good stuff. It's the same protein count almost as beef jerky does. Fix it the same way. Mm-hmm. So I'm walking in the door and Scott's coming out. And I said, here, so try some goose jerky. And he was eating on it. And then his wife shows up. Would you like to try some goose jerky? Scott says, oh, she's a vegetarian. I said, Jeannie, so was this goose. She took a piece and she said, that's really good. (laughs) Later, Scott said he had never seen her eat meat since they'd been married. So just a little education and a little politeness on our part as hunters, not pounding our chest saying we deserve this, but understanding it's a privilege to go out there and hunt. Mm -hmm. And then we're supporting wildlife through our, our monies that we buy licenses fishing and hunting license with.
0: Yeah. So. Which is millions.
1: It is you know, millions. Yeah, so, millions. Well, that's the issue with the Division of Wildlife now. Not an issue of how do we get the non-hunting public to support wildlife in Colorado since all wildlife belongs to all people in Colorado. Mm. That's the toughie. Yeah. Is how are you going to do that? Are you going to do a little little general tax on those people? Are you going to add a dollar to the license plates? Are you going to do what? This. So. That's why we're going to have this price increase and hunters and fishermen are going to have to support that.
0: And I, for me, and, and I know some of the things that I say, people, you know, like anything agree with and others, I don't mind paying more. Um, I don't mind at all. The, the thing is, is, if I go to a gym, let's say, and fitness is important to me and they raise my membership up $3 a month, it's not going to make me stop going to the gym because that's important to me. Um, hunting is, I can work out at my house I can't stop hunting, right? It's not. It would be difficult for me to not have that option. So if it means a price increase, I don't mind. Uh, it doesn't bug me at all. In fact, if it increases the odds of us staying in the field for thirty days during bow season, uh, you can I- increase it significantly on my end. And I know not everyone, everybody's, you know, in a different financial um, state in their lives or whatever. But I, knowing what I know now, compared to the you know, dumber, younger version of Aaron where I didn't think of big picture items. Um, it's my right to hunt. And I don't want to pay more would have been 15 years ago, right? Or whatever. Where now, yeah, I'm looking at the big picture because I I know what can potentially happen, what can get taken away from us. Um, and so for me, it's, it's kind of a moot point. I don't mind.
1: Well, and I think that's important that people look at the big picture. And I think when I was the division liaison, going to every Wildlife Commission meeting, and that's once a month, I remember coming out of the woods and driving to Durango mm-hmm. and buying a new clothing because I didn't, all I had was my camo gear to testify about something or represent the CBA back then. I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. Not only did I go to the public meetings, which were every other month, but I went to the workshops. And there <laughs> you learn a lot about the needs of the Division of Wildlife and where the money is being spent. And I think the average Joe guy doesn't know, doesn't see the big picture and doesn't understand the infrastructure of the Division of Wildlife and where that money goes and how many big game species we have, plus then all the other things that are involved in the infrastructure of the Division of Wildlife are now the parks and wildlife. For example, some people are saying, why do they need money to, to fix these dams? Well, there's 120 dams on state <laughs> wildlife areas that are that need to be repaired. Yeah, and so it's unfortunately it is it's sportsman's money, fisherman's money that ha- needs to be raised to m- do maintenance on those dams. So, yeah. those are this little tidbits that people don't understand sometimes.
0: No, and I I I mean I is is uh, the the shed hunting um, you know not just the seasons but paying for a shed hunting permit. That didn't bug me either, which I got a lot of flack from my shed hunting buddies. And I, I tried to explain it in the case of um, if you, the gym is an example, or uh, if you're going to go get your hair cut or, or whatever, you're going to go get a tan. You're paying for something that you need or want to do. Um, if you want to go walk around in the woods, that's free. But you're you're pulling off the ground an item that belonged to an animal's head and that animal belongs to the state of Colorado or the people of the state of Colorado um, in a very simplified uh, version of my brain. Um, okay, You're going to sell that antler. Some people do. So for me to pay for a shed hunting license is no different for paying for a hunting license, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I'm just paying the toll to go out and do something I love. It doesn't bug me to have to do that. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. We haven't talked about that, but... The animals, one, need a break, and two, it's not that much money. And if it goes to the wildlife, then I'm all for it. It doesn't bug me.
1: Well, we talked about horn porn before. Yeah. And so we have people that have, prior to the, the restriction on when you could gather horns, were going there early, harassing animals on snowmobiles. I even heard some accounts of people chasing them with snowmobiles, hoping that the antlers would drop oh, That's
0: that's 100% true. Yeah, I've that seen is it happen. True. That yeah. is true. I've seen them set up chicken wire on the ground yes, and f- wire across where they'll run into it and try and run them in to knock them off. And that makes me want to shoot someone. Uh, I mean, sure. that sounds horrible, but that does piss me off because again, and, and it's not like I'm the most I'm desensitized to, you know, things don't bug me. You know, things happen when you're hunting that, you know, aren't, sometimes you have bad shots, things like that. But when you're deliberately causing an animal harm that you're going to try and kill again later, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in my feeble little brain. Like, is it that big of a deal? Just wait for the damn thing to fall off. You'll find oh, it sure. later. You know? Well,
1: the commercialization <laughs> of horn gathering is tremendous. It's uh, huge now. Yeah. Uh, you and I have both heard of stories of, of 20 or 30 people showing up. They're, mm-hmm. they're being hired by somebody to go in and – and and go across the hillside and gather horns and they're getting paid by the hour, maybe the pound or something like that. These horns are selling for ten dollars a pound. Yeah. Uh chandeliers, uh knife handles a variety of things dog,
0: dog, chews are the dog shoes thing. that's an yeah. in,
1: that's insane yeah that's insane that you can take a horn and cut it into a foot piece and sell it for 25 dollars yeah for some dog that you on
0: well my buddy jeremy troxel he and i used to i don't have as much time now to go as and he i kept telling him dude just sell them all because we've saved them over the years sure. and all the ones in the you haven't seen our showroom but you'll see we got a bunch Save. hanging um you know, those are all sheds we found, and it's fun for us. I bring the stick bow now and stump shoot, and mm-hmm. I don't keep them anyway, so i just fling arrows. But if somebody said, hey, for you to go shed hunt, you need to pay 40 bucks if you're going to take one home, or you can just go wander around out in the woods, I'd pay the $40 for it to go to the, the damn wildlife anyway. Um, it, You know what I mean? That doesn't affect me because it's going to wildlife. Now, if there was misappropriation of funds, totally different. But the animals have a hard enough time as it is, um, and they need as much help as well as the state of Colorado needs as much money.
1: And they're talking about animals on their winter range. They're not talking about their summer range where they have free to flow. But the only only downside it's going to be is that I remember a few years ago, I was over near Montrose Mm -hmm. and I was turkey hunting and I was in my blind and I had to get out to take care of a little matter. And I went around a tree and there's this six point bull rack laying there Mm -hmm. with ivory tips. Yeah, Beautiful. So I slid it over next to the blind and continued turkey hunting. And then later I got out And I went around the other side of the tree, and there was the other side there. Yeah. Well, now, if I don't have a permit, I've Mm -hmm. got to leave those antlers there. Yeah. And so, back then, I brought them home. I even used those antlers as show and tell at the uh, elk fest at Estes Park. Mm -hmm. People were coming, walking by, didn't have a clue that the elk dropped their antlers or even grew some of the fastest-growing cellular growth in the world— And they were carrying around these uh, 20-some pounds of antlers on their head. Then they would drop them off. And I'd say, well, here, hold these. Some people kind of irk back like, oh, I don't want to touch those. Other people said, wow, they're heavy. Heavy, They didn't know. So it was a little educational factor there. But excuse me, there will be some downsides to it. But I think overall, you're right. I don't mind supporting the Division of Wildlife because I've seen these guys. They're just like you and I, Aaron. They're devoted to habitat and wildlife and and trying to work with organizations and people and creating a wonderful atmosphere for wildlife viewing for recreation outdoors for hunting here in Colorado and they they need money and unfortunately that's the way it goes
0: yeah and, and again if if um, I, you know you don't you don't have to take the horn home or in my case I'd probably go hide it um, and then go buy a Shed antler, uh, an antler hunting license, come back and grab it. I mean, and if that was a ticket, I would take it with pride because I think it's smart to go hide the antler and just come back Mm -hmm. and get it. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that, uh, you know, looking, trying to look at it, you know, even myself, like I say, is a big picture. Um, You know, when you, when I buy um, uh, like a fishing license, hunting, a combo, I would guess there's probably going to be a little checkbox to add a a antler, you know, shed hunting license in there as well. Maybe not. But again... If it's going to a good cause, it doesn't bug me to to do it. Um, you know, and, and there is some negative sides for sure, but you know, it it is what it is. But um, you know, while we're talking about not shed hunting, hunting in general, you now you've hunted with a partner some, but you've solo hunted a ton. Um a lot. And and what's so I've done a few 14 day or solo trips, which about drive you mad. Um I you know, I watched that show alone and and try to explain it to my fiance of it's not the physical portion really and it's not – it's your brain yes. is the problem. That's right. So how many um, – well, maybe not how many because that's probably hard to count up. What's what's the your average hunt and what's the longest you've went solo?
1: Well, the longest hunt was actually last year up in the flat top wilderness area. And I decided to use my recurve bow because I'd killed 11 elk with my compound. Yeah. And I went, okay, here's my challenge this year. Am (laughs) I physically able to do this? It's
0: 77, everyone. Keep that in mind. Yeah. So
1: (laughs) am I physically able to do this? So I practiced a lot. I was feeling very comfortable out to 30 yards. Where I was going to hunt was at 10,482 feet. So I had to gain 1,400 feet in less than two miles. So Mm -hmm. I had to hike up a uh, uh, horse trail to get there. And I set up my little spike camp in, a, in some ink black, some Engelman spruce trees, had a nice little cove there. And I was probably within, oh, a third of a mile of where I knew some elk were going to be on a wallow or out in these meadows. I was downwind. Uh, there was a stream within 100 yards I could get water out of. And I'd had my freeze dried food and I had my man and a half mountain tent and a tarp and a sleeping bag. So how do you do that? How do you stay up there? How do you get mentally aware of what you want to do? Well, I like my private times. Yeah. I mean, let's face it, just coming down to Denver today. When I hit Denver, the traffic went from 60 to 10 miles an hour. Then it was bumper to bumper. Yeah. Yeah. When I was a sales rep in Ohio, I could handle that years later. But i also, still, even back then, I needed some quiet time. So I'd go out on Lake Erie and go walleye fishing. Or yeah. I'd go in the woods and go squirrel hunting or something like that. I always knew I needed my quiet time by myself solo. I
0: remember reading about you packing in a book. Yes. And I'm like, and I'm different. Yes. I ain't packing in a book. It's just not no. me. But I listen to an audio book. Yes. Technology, yeah. Okay. right? Yeah, There you go. There you go.
1: <laughs> and so, yeah. So <laughs> this year... I, I was going to. Sp- I could spend the whole season up there. I got there three days before the season. Mm-hmm. I did come out for uh, uh, Memorial Day mm-hmm. weekend, but I went back that Monday, and I did go down to Meeker for two days just to refresh and have a good meal and see a friend of mine down there, and came back. So I spent the better part of twenty-five days up there by myself. So how do you do that? Two things that make the time go by. First of all, you are. Self-aware and confident of your own abilities. Yeah, field craft. Yes, right. I don't take risks. Mm -hmm. I don't step on a log. I always step over it. Uh, I don't go hunting down in some hell hole where I can't get an elk out. So I have to be careful about that. So I'm aware of what my equipment is. I've got a a spot messenger Mm -hmm. if I need to let Tricia know I'm okay Mm -hmm. or call in the mounties if I'm not. Yeah. So I can rely on that. Um, I have a camera with me. Mm -hmm. And I take a lot of pictures of anything I can see from flowers to bugs to crawly things. I had a pine martin come into camp because I had shot a grouse and had eaten it over a nice little fire. That's the only time I ever have a fire cook the grouse. You don't have to pluck the feathers off, just singe them off. Mm-hmm. And put a stick in the in the belly where the guts were and then rotate it over a fire and you got this beautiful little oven that you've created with the skin and the singed feathers and then you cook it and add a little salt and you dive into it like a caveman. Yeah. And it's good stuff. But uh, I take reading materials. I got really involved in Louis L'Amour. Oh, books. dang. <laughs> I've probably gone through 50 of them. And I take two or three of those. I probably have two or three down in the in the truck when I go back, if I need to upgrade my foods. Uh, I'll take some adventure books, some CIA, some some adventures type stories. Yeah. So you get up in the morning at 4, you cook a little oatmeal and hot chocolate and throw some granola bar in there, and that's what you have. I take some jerky and some trail mix for munching on. I go hunting and back maybe by 10. I'm only hunting within a mile of my camp because I'm right there with the elk, right. but trying to be away from them the best I can, watching the wind. I'll come back. I'll shoot my bow. Uh, I might have a little bit more grazing of food. Uh, I'll take some pictures all the time. I might even take a nap. I get out a book and read a couple chapters, maybe mm-hmm. take another nap and maybe shoot my bow some more, maybe go take some pictures. I try to do an evening meal before I go hunting in the evening. Mm-hmm. So by three o'clock I do that, and by four I'm heading out again. Yeah, and uh, so I'm keeping busy all the time. I'm not bored. Oh, and the last year, for the first time ever, I did a daily diary, which is really kind of fun to do. Yeah. So three days before, and I put this all on Bowsight. Yeah. So I did pictures and all the all the uh, the words I had printed. So I, I did a daily log of what I did. Mm-hmm. Day by day, by time, and and then I even added in 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 those uh, messages some of the hourly stuff I was thinking about. Mm-hmm. What were the what were the the uh, early men on this planet doing yeah. like I'm doing? How did they survive? What did the fur trappers do? Mm-hmm. Uh, how did they survive? Um, little things like that. I even here's a funny little story. Uh, when I was in the sixth grade, my art teacher said, "Okay, class." How many of you seen an ant crawling around? Oh, yeah, we all raised our hands. Sure, we have seen ants. Okay, I would like, she said, I'd like you to draw an ant. I think everybody looked at each other like, is she crazy? We've seen <laughs> ants, but do we really know what they look like? Right. So I'm sitting in my camp last year, and by memory, I tried to draw an ant. So, you know, <laughs> you got the head, you got the middle part, and you got the r- r- thing. And then I said, does it have eight legs or six legs? Yeah. Well, I was lucky enough to remember it had six legs, not yeah. like a spider. How, how are the antennas? Yeah. So I drew it in my diary. Mm-hmm. And I remembered that flashback to my sixth grade teacher. And so then finally, I'm sitting there on the log one day, just drawing things out. And here's these great big black ants crawling around. I took one and I I, I harvested it <laughs> and uh, copied it. And it was pretty close to what
0: You almost I nailed did. it, yeah.
1: And I just wrote a story about that. And so I was keeping busy mentally and physically. Uh, and I was resting, and I had good food, and I could communicate with my loved ones at home. And if I needed to get down my truck, I could be down there in an hour and a half. Mm -hmm. So I I worked my plan. Yeah, and I worked my adventure, and I kept busy, and I was safe, and I didn't take any undue, you know. Yeah, yeah, no,
0: and I issues. that's what I preach is stay busy was one of the things. And I, I take way more, I'm younger and stupider. Right. I mean, and and it may be, I do things I should not do even, even still, um, when I'm, when I'm solo, um, which I shouldn't, uh, but the mind wanders, um, in, and one thing, and I've made a lot of mistakes in life, and I've tried to prep people for this. Doing, a, you know, you get guys from back east that hey, I'm going to do a 10 to 12 day hunt, and I'm like, are you sure you're going to do a 10 to 12 day hunt? Because I would bet you it's four to five. No, no, we're going to make it. And I'm like, have you ever done one? I'm like, I'm just telling you, be prepped to come off. The, there's no, no, you're not losing a man card. You need to come down in four or five days. Go in, shower, eat a burger, go back in. Don't, don't, don't worry about it. But the amount of people that actually can make 10 to 12 to 14 days a solo is small, extremely small. Mm-hmm. I think small. so. I think so. Um, for me, it seems like I always think about all the mistakes I've made or I'll get in that little bubble. And if you've made a lot of them, that's a lot to think about. And and uh, it doesn't necessarily make me come off the mountain, but I think, why do my – and I, try, I, I start getting – I'll start glassing. I'll start screwing around the camp. A lot of times what I'll do – um, cause I always kind of set up, um, what do you want a meat station over atop like in an eco thermal corridor over a Creek to cool the meat, mm-hmm. let the blood drip because I, you know, I try to age it a little bit yes. and then I set up a refrigerator cause I put it in waterproof bags in the Creek. If I'm staying many days, I do that ahead of time when I can out of boredom. Probably don't need to do that, but it keeps the brain, you know, going or busy. And really, after a certain amount of time, it's it's your home again, and I don't have any issue. But um, you know, I, I I'm always because there's not that many people do it. Anytime I have someone like you in front of me, I always ask the question, and everybody's answer is almost always the same: stay busy. I'm not a reader. I'll read magazines, but I'm not going to pack seventy magazines sure. in to keep busy. Sure. But I have started to listen to audio books. Now, I, I'm a huge Louis L'Amour fan, but I also have probably listened to um, The Crow Killer, uh, Jeremiah Johnson, um, yes. his, one of his books, or not his book, but a, a version, that for whatever reason, that dude's voice that's, that, that reads that is just soothing to me. And so Brian Call, we were in, he and I have hunted all over the place. He always heard this same voice and he was like, does that guy... Do you just like his voice. I'm like, man, it's the same book. I've like, I have the Crow Killer memorized from beginning to end. And then obviously, the Far Blue Mountains, the the Sackets, um, I've listened to that yes. one a ton mm-hmm. as well. Uh, either way, um, I think that uh, being able to do it like you have even now should give a lot of people hope listening. Because for me, I was going to be happy if I made it to 50, 55, staying backpacking in. And here you are, 70. Seven, almost seventy-eight. Yes, still getting after it, and and you're successful. It's not like you're doing a nature walk back there. I mean, you 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 harvest animals. Well,
1: the nice thing about I've got a lot of support from my wife. Yeah, Tricia. I love when she looks in the freezer and say, "Paul, I don't see an elk in there. Don't come home until you get one." (laughs) And she supports that. Yeah, I've gone down to Arizona for thirty days. Yeah, I've gone to backpacking like that for the whole season. I've been gone for 30 days. I'll go to Nebraska for two weeks at a time. Mm-hmm. She's plenty busy. My you know, my kids are gee, 54 and I've got a granddaughter who's going to be 21 graduating from Ohio State this year. And so we support each other, but that's the whole key is that I understand people with young families that are just growing up and they have to spend a lot of time with them. I'm very fortunate that most of the guys I know my age aren't hunting anymore. And then a lot of guys younger than me that are wonderful parents and supportive of that, but love their bow hunting, but they have a job, they have their family to raise. And I can understand that. I'm just hoping, and I don't try to be a role model, but in some cases I've had people say, Paul, I've really value your outlook in life and what you're doing today. And, um, you're staying in shape. And I said, well, that's what I want to do. I'm a I'm a hunter and a fisherman. I, I don't bowl. I don't golf. I don't go to the bars. Uh, you know, I don't smoke. I'm, I don't drink. I'm in the same boat. I don't <laughs> drink a whole lot. And yeah. I've always been sort of an athlete. I, I remember um, when I was a sales rep on yeah. the road, a lot of the guys would – go to the bars and go out to eat and get their face full and stomach full of food. I'd go out and put my shorts on and go run six or eight miles. And I I said, I wanted to run a marathon before I hit 40. Well, I did it at 39. Did Mm -hmm. the Glass City Marathon in Toledo, did one in Cleveland, ran a bunch of half marathons, 10Ks. And so I just, I've always been kind of an athlete shape. I probably weigh, what, 10 pounds more than I did in high school or 12 pounds. But I think I'm stronger today because I've just made a commitment to do what I love to do. And if I don't do what I do to stay in shape mentally and physically, I can't go hunting next year the way I want to.
0: Well, let's talk about that. That was one of our topics because we, we train uh, at Red Rocks and Green Mountain and day before yesterday, Amy and I are there and I've got a, I'd once a week or once every month, I'll do a heavy pack training day. So I've got like an 8,000, it's sticky. I look like a Ninja Turtle. It sticks out. Everybody, no matter how big the pack is, what are you training for? And my version is usually to be in shape. That's I just yes. like I'm just trying to get in shape. I don't need to give them some long drawn out. And it's reason. a lifestyle.
1: Just, it's a year round lifestyle. It's not yeah. one of these. Well, I find out
0: it's better to stay in shape than get back in shape. Amen.
1: <laughs> amen. Yeah. And I think it's good for your family and your lifestyle and your at home and here at work and you are just mentally more prepared and physically comes right along with it.
0: Well, so what da- Now do you take any do you take any supplements? Do you take fish oil pills or anything like that? Glucosamine? Um or do you just eat healthy and drink water?
1: I drink water. I drink a lot of juices with not a lot of sugar in it. I eat a lot of fruit. Mm-hmm. Um I eat uh, I like granola, but you know and and but I probably eat a couple bananas a day. I eat an orange a day, maybe munch on an apple. I eat a lot of healthy food. I just, like I said, we just had turkey and rice soup last night. We had some wild game here and there. I like salads. Mm-hmm. Uh, I could probably survive on grilled cheese and ham sandwiches and uh, and, and a nice <laughs> salad. I mean, I just like that combination. And yeah. maybe a bowl, you know, a bowl of soup. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I've always tried to eat healthy. And uh, But I think, I think it comes right back to I want to hunt again next year. I want to go elk hunting. Mm-hmm. I've done my bighorn sheep. I've done my mountain goat. So I've done my high-altitude stuff, Mm -hmm. but I still want to go elk hunting. And if I can do it for 30 days, great. So what do I do? Uh, I'm a member of one of the gyms in Fort Collins. I've been going there for 15 years, Mm -hmm. mostly in the winter. I was there yesterday yesterday. Of course, I can't be there today, but I'll probably be there tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I get on the treadmill. I walk the track for a couple of miles. I get on the treadmill. I try to switch it out. I do upper body strength, but I don't overdo it. And here's the issue I see of guys that are trying to curl 60, 70, 80 pounds and maybe more. And I go, I said, I remember when I started at the gym, I'd start at 10s and then the 20s and then the 30s and up to 40s. I'd do that in sequence and do a couple sets of those. One time when I was doing the 40s, I ripped some muscles in my forearm. Mm-hmm. It took forever for that to heal. And I went, I'm never going to do that again.
0: Oh, that was me. I, I lifted too heavy and at right. 40, my elbows are catching well, up. Well,
1: I see that. So now yeah. it's maintenance. It's maintaining some strength. I go up to the cable pole and make sure my bow arms and my fly fishing shoulder is yeah. okay. Cause <laughs> I, I never want to hurt those two because I'd be devastated if I could pull my bow back and do some fly fishing. Yeah. So keeping in shape is important. Watching your diet is important. And it, you're Right. I try to be in shape 90% of the time. And then probably about three months before season, when it gets a little nicer, I'll take my black lab chase. He's going to be, actually, was nine yesterday, Valentine's Day. Wonderful Mm -hmm. retrieving dog. I'll put my backpack on, throw a couple gallons of water in there, and just head out on one of the canals near the house and Mm -hmm. do about a four or five mile loop. And then the other day, I'll get on my mountain bike, and even though I don't ride it in the mountains... I hate getting flat tires on my road bike. Mm-hmm. So I take my mountain bike that has a bigger tread on it and get on the bike trails from Fort Collins and go out to La Porte and do some hills over there. And that's about a 20-mile circuit. Mm-hmm. And I'll do that every day. So I'll do that on and off pretty regularly for almost two months. Mm-hmm. I'll drop about 8 or 10 pounds. I'll be in fighting shape for elk season. My mm-hmm. legs will be strong. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll be able to do what I want to do. The thing that I do too, though, when I'm especially when I'm elk hunting, and we talked about somebody's with bad knees in your office, and I wear these Davis Knee Sleeves. They're a polyurethane, polyprop, yeah, polyurethane sleeve that you slip up your leg and over your knees, and that helps keeps the knees warm and all the ligaments and the tendons and the bones kind of compacted. And particularly if you're coming down the hill. Mm-hmm. and forcing your knees in an area Do you use walking sticks? I do mm-hmm. occasionally. Yes, yeah. I do. Yeah, I do. Not so much when I'm hunting, but when I'm descending and going yeah. down. I remember coming down from 12,500 feet with my mountain goat. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had to hike up. It took me three and a half hours, and you keep hitting these false summits. Yeah. I was going up an avalanche slide over near the uh, Legion Peak south of Leadville. hmm so I'm hiking up the mountain and then I had to wait across the stream, but I picked up a couple sticks and I used those to go up the hill and then coming down because I shot the goat the same day. I had to dump out eight gall- or a whole gallon of water, eight pounds of water up there because there was no water. Mm-hmm. So I boned the, the sheep, the goat out, put it on my back, picked up my camp and hiked down the mountain with it using walking sticks. But keeping balance, keeping that, even if it's just one walking stick, yeah. now you got at least two contacts to the ground every time
0: yeah and no I, I'm a firm I preach them to everyone um I same as you I don't hike in with them very often sometimes I do but when I get 100, 150 pounds on my back I'm, I'm I'm using them i I have an ice axe walking stick yes. that's um pretty handy and certain because I use it to dig out and when I was up in the up north I would I mean honestly it's kind of handy to hack out little pines for the helicopter to land um so yeah I think that's uh that's important that people I didn't think ahead. You know, I didn't listen to people like you. I was like, oh, what the tell he know? And and thank God my knees are good. But from – and I did steroids when I was younger. It was a piss-poor decision. Okay. That is catching up with me mm-hmm. because now my elbows are just – they're in pain all the time. I have like tendon problems basically. And uh, if I would have just maintained and stayed in good shape rather than tried to build so much muscle – and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but if you're a mountain hunter – it's a it can be a problem when sure. you to get big you got to lift heavy probably not the greatest idea if you're trying to go hunt sheep and mountain goats well
1: so. one thing i do more now than ever because it does take when you get older your muscles to to get started up before you exercise mm-hmm. so it's called stretching it's called yeah. warming up <laughs> Yeah, and I just started to do
0: that too. Yes, and
1: I didn't do this until about 10 years ago when right. I up in the at the at the gym I go to, they had these mats and they had these stretching bars and all the thing and people were in there stretching and doing all sorts of over your heads and legs and lifts and things like that and I and then I started reading about stretching and and I think the older you get and even young people now are doing a lot of stretching. I see guys that do go right into the gym and start lifting right from squat. I mean, they don't they don't warm up at all. Yeah. But I think now that I've learned that I've got to take it easier, that I go up there and maybe for 15 minutes do a variety of stretching just things, just to warm up the body. And then I'm better off for it. And then, I, like you, have realized you don't want to exceed your weight limits. You don't want to... Be 10 are 19 again. You yeah. don't want to try to impress the cute gal down the way that's looking at you.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, damn, yo- damn women, yeah. yo- yoga pants have changed everything anymore. Anyway, yes, that's, that's another subject.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I, well, I started a foam roll. Uh, which is a big one. I use voodoo floss, which is um, painful but works great. Yes. Uh, and then obviously I just stretching in general. It's a, and, and I foam roll on a Nalgene bottle in the field. Oh sure. Uh, especially because I get uh, IT band issues, so mm-hmm. I'll roll that. I roll my back. So uh, definitely all things in, in, uh, well, and and important. Well,
1: repetition is good, but I I just try it every uh, a couple of days I switch off a routine to a different routine. Maybe I'll work my upper body one couple of days in a row, and then I'll. I'm always doing cardio though. That's so important. I tell people it's legs and lungs. Yeah. If you're going to go into mountain hunting, it's all about
0: legs and lungs. Yeah. No. So, I, I. Yeah. I agree with that, yeah, <laughs> for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what? Uh, um, we got about ten minutes left here. Technology. Uh, just to give everybody kind of an idea, which this is a comical story. Um, I'm speaking at the CBA banquet. And uh, when 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 you had initially approached me about that, I said I would do it, and we talked a little bit. Um, and then later on, um, you guys tried to get a hold of me. You needed a photo. Yes. And I was in um, British Columbia on a grizzly hunt, and I quickly learned you don't text, um, and you generally don't have your phone on. <laughs> That's true. And uh, so I texted a bunch of photos, and then. Uh, I pulled him off Dropbox. And I sent a link. And then I called Lou, uh, yeah. Felipe, or Philippi, or whatever. Yes. Uh, yes. I said, hey, man, I sent all this. He didn't respond. And he started laughing. He was like, he, <laughs> he, he said, I shit you not. He does not text. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding? And he goes, I'm not kidding you, Aaron. And and I'm at this time on a sat phone, on a satellite uplink, talking to Lou. And I'm like, so I'm carrying 10 grand in communication equipment. He doesn't text? And he started laughing. He's like, "I'm not kidding. Just send them to me." I'm like, "Oh, okay." So, technology and how much it's changed in the outdoors. I know for me, going back 20 years, I can tell you. But you, you're going back 50 plus. That's true. That's in the true. hunting industry, what have you seen changed the uh, the most from your perspective? Um, from let's say, let's just go back. Forty years. Well, let's just and we discuss
1: printed matter. Yeah, and how it's even newspapers are having a hard time today. So let's go back to printed matter. Back in the fifties, when I was a kid and doing some hunting, Outdoor Life and Field Stream were the two magazines. Because so now, like I said, if you're if you if you're a Star Hulu Hooper, you could create a magazine and they will print it. So every gun, ammo, bow, outdoor, anything you want to do in the outdoors, there's a magazine now. So that has changed a lot. So that is. I don't know if it's thinned out the readership or maybe it's brought in some more readership, but that's the, the paper part. The electronic part is I like my quiet time. I'm at that age. I'm retired. My kids are out of college and married and and I've got a nice lifestyle and I can still do what I like to do. So I like my private time. So I do have a cell phone and I have it on periodically, <laughs> but I do... Only call my wife and say, hey, I'm up in a tree stand up near the Tamarack State Wildlife Fair and i am just shot a nice deer or I shot some ducks and the dog did a great or I'm down in Arizona and I've got my, uh, my spot messenger and I say, I'm OK, or I'm up in the mountains, I'm OK. So being where I came from, I'm not all that involved in high technology. Mm-hmm. And I told you that at 12 years old, I got we got our first black and white 12-inch television back in Ohio. And we got three television stations. So just think of what's available today and how electronics has changed that. Plus then, now you got the social media thing and you got Google Earth. Yeah. And you've got people that are can be stay home people and do their business out of their house. Mm-hmm. They don't have to go back to the company or maybe they developed a company. And then you have all these ops that are going on about hunting ops. And you, we'll do the scouting for you. And then Google Earth, you can fly over these areas. You don't have to leave your home, whether you're in Ohio or here in Colorado, to scout an area. And then you have like bowsite.com that has lots of readers and followers that some people give up their areas that they don't realize are on the World Wide Web. So it's so easy to communicate anymore. And then all the things you were talking about, about I'm not on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to personally account, but there's all these other little things that people are involved in today that they're walking down the street in town texting or reading something or communicating with somebody. And I'm a eye to eye, face to face guy. I like to engage people and talk about things meaningful. So that's how it's changed for me. I might be sort of an old timer, but I certainly like my quiet time and I appreciate the electronics today, but I don't take advantage of
0: all of it. Yeah, no, that's understandable, and I, I and I would say this a little off the subject. You are a people person. You're a talker. I mean, you talk all day? Uh, you'll meet someone that seems like a social butterfly that's 20 years old on Instagram, right? I, whatever, pick we'll pick whatever outlet you want, and then you meet them, and they're actually socially handicapped. They do not know how to face to face interact because they were brought up in the digital era. And they know how to selfie, they know how to video, they know how to post, but they do not know how to talk to people, they don't know how to read people, they don't know how to read a conversation, and it's crazy because social media has done that.
1: Well, I think so, and and one of my – I like to engage people. I think if you ask anybody, I don't care where they're at, they're standing in line, they're at the coffee shop, just ask them a question, you can engage in a conversation. And I – I like doing that. Mm-hmm. And so – but a funny thing that happens periodically, I'll see two gals or four gals sitting around or guys sitting around, and they're all they're all texting. Yeah. And I go – I've said, you guys aren't texting each other, are you? Because they're sitting there, and I've seen families. I've seen a married couple sitting there without having a conversation, texting somebody else. Yeah. And they're not having a face-to-face, word-to-word conversation. It's not like it's meaningless anymore. So you're right, but – uh I am. I'm a per- people person. I like to chit-chat.
0: Well, and it's, it's, I mean, you just described me in a lot of ways and I take no offense to it because it drives me crazy that I I say have to, I don't have to do anything, but running the business and, in social media. But it's, it's funny. Like, um, people say, oh my God, if you put that phone down, you'll, you'll, you'll have a heart attack. Well, I went like, for example, to the NWT for two and a half months. It was the last, it was the happiest two and a half months I've had in 10 years. Yes. I had no service. My thing is it's, I have to do it. And people would say, you don't have to. Well, if we want to stay in business, I kind of have to do it. I got to answer messages and questions and everything. And if I don't, when you're getting 200 phone calls a day and 150 messages and 150 emails, you kind of have to be on it all the time. And in one way, I'm happy we have technology so I can help people. And the other way, I have no life because I'm always on the damn phone. And you are you described me to a T half the time. I've got my head down on a phone. And, and a lot of times, much like you described, I'll put it in my pocket and think, Jesus, Christ, I can't even walk down the street and not look at my phone. I'm going to get hit by a car. I know. Um, yes. yeah. and, and that's it's technology, good and bad. You know, as far as the one thing I've noticed, how long did you say it took you to to hunt elk where you had a good grasp on it, where you felt confident?
1: Well... I came out to Colorado to elk hunt in 88 Mm -hmm. and it was just dumb luck. I didn't get one. I hunted in the flat tops before it went over the, or limited draw. And I went back the next year and killed one Mm -hmm. on the last day. Uh, Boned it out just like a rabbit. And luckily there was a outfitter six miles away. My wife hiked to and brought back mules and we hauled it out. Mm -hmm. Next three years later, I moved to Colorado, shot an elk the first time I went, called Mm -hmm. it in with a cow call went three years without one. So when you thought you I knew everything about elk, I went three years without one, but I had some close encounters. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I get one and I'm running about 50% on elk. You know. would, would,
0: would you say that it would take you, you know, maybe three to five years of hard hunting to where you felt pretty confident that you went in the woods that you could probably get one each year? Um, I, I think, I th- well, at least, at
1: least have a close encounter. Yeah, yeah. And I think what has happened too is that there's a lot of honey holes in Colorado elk hunt. Mm -hmm. And sometimes people from whether they're out of state or in state are always looking for that perfect honey hole. Mm -hmm. But maybe they really found it the first time. As long as there's the right ingredients of habitat, water, and seeing elk, they just have to learn it like their living room or their back of their hand. And I think that they're more successful if you keep going back to the first or second area and learn it like the back of your hand and learn the movement every year. Is Because these elk pretty well show up at the same time. As long as the habitat has stayed stable, uh, the elk will be there. And uh, so I, th- I think learning an area. And so I've been elk hunting for almost 26 years, killed 11, had a couple of other opportunities. Had I had an elk, two elk, bull elk, the second day of the season last year. I'm sitting in a blind overlooking a wallow, and here comes two young bulls across the meadow sparring. Mm -hmm. and then they'd break apart, and then they'd horn some trees. They came up within 22 yards of me, and I got my recurve hanging in the tree, and I'm in a little makeshift blind. I went, oh, God, I can hunt 28 more days. Do I really want to shoot one? Well, that's (laughs) never been an issue with me. Yeah, But they were right there, but the biggest bull, the 4 by 5 had his butt to me, and the other one had his butt the other way, and they were kind of locked with horns. They had their head down on the ground. They were whining like little pigs, and you could hear their antlers clanking. And I... I said, They're only 22 yards away, but off to the side of my window. And so I thought, okay, I got my bow. I got down on my knees. I put pressure on the string. I was waiting for him to turn broadside, and the wind switched 10 degrees, mm-hmm. and they were both out of there in a minute. Yeah. And then a couple of days later, I had one at 15 feet, and I heard him hitting some antlers or a, a tree across the meadow. So I set up, had the wind right. I said, okay, he's going to come downwind on me. He's going to swing around. So I'm watching this area. I'm kneeling down next to a tree to my left, not thinking he was going to slip down the meadow, come across the bottom and come up my side and slip right into this opening 30 yards away. That's exactly what he did. And he walked up within 15 feet of me and I can't move. And finally the wind switched and he's gone. So I had some close encounters. But if I would have had a gun, I would have been done the first day or the second day. Uh, so that's not what it's all about. I want to have in close encounters with animals. I want to see the snot dripping out of their nose. I want to see the their eyes, you know, blood red, and their mouth opening and they're screaming at me. I want to have that personal encounter. Yeah. With that, so like I said, of the elk I've killed, none of them have been over thirty five yards yet. So I like that close encounter, and I think that's why a lot of guys like love bow hunting.
0: Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'm kind of weird, but you know, I went from accuracy, past, well past 100 yards with a compound, to being pretty enamored and excited, reinvigorated, I guess you could say, with a recurve. Um, I yes. shot it in 16, shot the compound last year, and it gets in your blood. It's hard to get out. And And quite honestly, I'm lazy with a compound. I shoot things farther away. Where you see an elk out in the field, I probably would just shoot it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I am f- totally admit that, that, you know, if it's at 80, I'll just kill it at 80, where... Yeah, it's a lot harder with a recurve, but man, I get to see a lot more oh, cool stuff. Uh, for well, sure, and, you
1: know, and I shoot both, and it, and I call my compound my meat bow. Yeah, I really want to bring some meat home. I'm I can shoot a little farther, pretty accurate out to 50 yards. It can shoot faster and flatter, mm-hmm. uh, more accurate. No, no doubt about that. My and so that's my serious bow and my meat bow. Recurve. I grew up with a recurve. Killed my first deer when I was in the Air Force in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Uh, it's my fun bow, and mm-hmm. I love carrying it around, and I've shot a couple of nice deer, a Pope and Young. I killed a turkey last year with it, so uh, I kind of balance it bo- both ways, and yeah. I really enjoy that. You want to talk about the CBA a little bit and about the banquet in our last we, closing minutes?
0: Yeah, we might as well. We've hit – I knew this would happen. We've already hit an hour. It feels like it's been 20 <laughs> minutes. Um, the uh, Well, one thing we, – we can go a little bit longer. Uh, I want to make sure – one of the things I get across while well, I have – someone that's been doing this as long as you have, you didn't have the catapulting learning curve of social media, of Google, of, of both side of rock slide of whatever you you had to kind of learn it on your own, um, you know, the hard way. And I would be willing to guess your field craft is significantly higher than anyone that's learned their field craft from the From the internet, right? Like you've done it. You've, you figured it out. You didn't, you didn't need it. And there's nothing wrong with learning from the internet. I was a boy
1: scout and a cub scout. There you go. There you go. There you go. So I think. And I I grew up in a rural area. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. we had to make do. We didn't have man-made jungle gyms in the, in the schoolyard. Uh, We swung on vines. We built our own tree huts. We'd ride around on our bicycles with little handmade tomahawks and bows and arrows pretending we're Indians. And I always kind of liked the Indian part of it versus yeah. <laughs> the Tom Mix and the Lone Ranger type. But yeah. but that's what we did. We got by with it. So we we learned our craft earlier because we were just, that's what we did. We rolled around in the dirt. We went swimming in the lakes and the ponds. We clubbed carp and grabbed turtles. And so we learned our craft at a young age and but no doubt about it. There's a, if I want to find anything, I'll just put in whatever anything is plus YouTube and I will learn how to fix a gutter or fix my car or go backpacking or how to pack an animal out on, yeah. on some of your blogs and things like that. So combination of all that, but I'm always willing to learn those types of things. And then something like bowsite.com has a lot of great people that are contributing positively. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you learn about that too. And I like to contribute too. So I'm always trying to learn.
0: Yeah, and you're a both side guy. I'm a rock slide guy, probably because I started Rock Slide, yes, but you did. Uh, I um I don't even get on forums anymore. Um I just don't like dealing with some of the the negativity, I, I guess. Understand. But they are a great resource. Um I you know if you can especially if you can weed through the BS a little bit. Um There's not very many places where you can go and ask how to debone an elk and run into guys that have killed between 10 and 30 and have 20 of those guys tell you how to do it. Um, uh, You're not going to run into 20 guys walking around the mall that know how to do that, right? You're going to have to dig where you can find it out on there.
1: And what about, you know, elk, the gutless method? Whoever thought about that? five years ago. Yeah. And now it's...
0: Well, I, I did five years ago, but I I, it, I was lucky enough many years ago to have a guy show me. Yes. The problem is now is these deer in Alabama, I hadn't gutted a deer in so long. I immediately hit the guts, um, but Brian was laughing his butt off. But again, resources that we didn't have, you, you especially didn't when I was learning. And, and I guess that's when I'm kind of... Make sure you learn it, not necessarily the hard way, but the Definitely get in the field and, and learn these things. Learning it on the computer only gets you so far. You really need to put hands-on and, and field experience to, to to learn some of these things. And I know some people can't, but it's certainly not going to hurt you uh, to maybe skip a show or skip something and, and head out and go on a backpacking trip to just learn how to backpack so you can become a better backpack hunter. Um, well,
1: it's called boots on the ground, and I think yeah. it's important. I'll just briefly tell you my evolution about bow hunting. So I started – with my first bow shooting carp in the marshes of Lake Erie mm-hmm. uh, as a kid. And then I shot at a couple of squirrels and a couple of woodchucks and maybe a couple of birds back then. So I get in the Air Force in 1959 in the Upper Peninsula, Michigan, buy a Ben Pearson 50-pound bow and some cedar arrows and some feathers on them and a and a 3 bait botkin head. Oh, Didn't know a thing about <laughs> about a bow except that it was a 50-pounder recurve. Didn't know anything about arrows, nothing about spine, nothing about FOC, you know, weight forwardness. None of that. Uh, Fred Bear. So camo, I had a Woodlands jacket. I had my Air Force Brogans on. I had some green flight pants. uh, Probably had a a floppy hat on. I took uh, cork and uh, burned it and put it on my face and hands for camo. Yeah. And so, and there were and tree stands were not illegal in in uh, Michigan back then. Mm -hmm. And so, I've evolved from there and just kept picking things up along the way. And certainly, some through magazines, some through electronics today. And I'm still learning. And it's amazing what's out there that people can use to make their hunts easier. But it still comes back to the physicalness of it and the desire to go out there and do it. And I've got a lot of desire to go hunting because. Let's face it, I'm going to be 80 in two years, but every year I take one year at a time and I say, am I mentally and physically prepared to do the type of hunting I want to do? Sure, I can go deer hunting and shoot off the ground and that won't take a lot of effort, but I love elk hunting and I want to keep doing it. I want to keep solo hunting and making, you know, just making the physical effort to do it. So I'm very conscious of that and I'm going to do everything I can to keep doing it. One of these years, I'm not going to be able to do it, but I hope I still have another five or six years to be able to do that.
0: Well, you're giving young dumb shits like myself hope that I can – keep doing it um for a long 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 time and that's that's good because i need all the motivation i can get on that but uh but yeah go ahead. why don't you go ahead and talk about the the cba what, what you guys do and the sure. a banquet
1: well let's historically cba was was developed back in 1969 mm-hmm. by a, a band of stick bow shooters back there and long bow shooters that were devoted and passionate about what they wanted to do and they wanted to try to develop some hunting seasons for bows only And so they worked with the Division of Wildlife back then, the Wildlife Commission, the legislature. And over near Durango and a few other places around Colorado, they developed the first elk seasons in certain game management units. Well, look, today we can hunt elk statewide. And 80% of those elk are in over-the-counter units. And there's a bow hunting season of 30 days. And uh, so it's evolved from that. And then look at all the other big game animals. We have seasons for bow hunting seasons for sheep and some areas for goats only. I shot my goat in a rifle area, that's mm-hmm. okay. Uh, we can hunt mountain lands, but that's a any weapon season and it's set there, but I chose a bow. Uh, deer seasons for, for uh, and uh, both mule deer and, and whitetail seasons for archery. So CBA has been part and parcel in trying to develop and working with the Division of Wildlife to get their share of the hunt and plus having bow hunting seasons. And the, the challenge today is try to maintaining those seasons. There's always people saying, well, the bow hunters got it too easy. They can hunt 30 days. Well, our success is only 13% versus rifle hunters that are 25 to 30% for elk, for an example. No doubt, bow hunting has increased tremendously. We've got 44,000 bow hunters in Colorado of which about 20,000 of those are non-residents. Mm-hmm. So we've got a lot of bow hunters today. So the challenge with the division is, and I'll talk about CBA in a second, is how to, how to manage all those people properly. Mm-hmm. And, and so so the CBA was developed uh, 40-some years ago. The banquet we're having in Fort Collins is our 43rd. So we've been around a while. So we have a board of directors that meets once a month, uh, in mostly in Denver, but sometimes around the state, and they talk about all the things that are vital to the CBA as an organization, uh, whether it's the jamboree or whether it's uh, hunting seasons or whether it's the five-year season structure, or whether it's the banquet or whether it's fun shoots and a variety of things like that or award ceremonies. Uh, and so that's a challenge every year to, to get that done, uh, but it's very worthwhile. So our our I'll divide the CBA into two portions: our fun side and our political side. Mm -hmm. So let's look at the political side, for example. We realize that we need a legislative liaison as part of one of the board members. And what he does, he works with the legislature and goes to the legislative sessions to listen to hear anything about and hear anything that might affect hunting, maybe recreation, conservation in Colorado, and report that back to the board. If it's a serious issue that might affect bow hunting, the board votes on Yes, go ahead and testify or we'll write a letter to so-and-so or we'll get our members to write letters or we'll let our members know that this is an urgent fact that we need to to address. The other part, we have a lobbyist. We're actually paying a lobbyist this year, a very good person that would be able to be there at the sessions all the time and get back to our legislative liaison and then he can report to us. So that's our political side. The other political side is our... um, our Divisional Wildlife Liaison, which I was for six and a half years. And then then Tom Buhuton was for six years. And now Steve Hilde is our liaison. Mm-hmm. And he goes to every Wildlife Commission meeting, and he listens. He's the eyes, ears, and voice for CBA. And he listens, and he can testify. And he knows our mission at, at CBA, and that's why he is there. And he reports back to our membership, not only in our newsletter, but at our monthly meetings. So there's our political side. Other organizations, there aren't any other state organizations like the CBA that represent the bow hunters. We are the eyes, ears, and voice for bow hunters in Colorado. So then our fun side. Well, we have our jamboree every year up near Camp, up near Leadville. We'll we'll bring in. It's a family operation. It's a family gathering of 12 to 1,400 CBA members and families that will camp on this property for three days, and we put out six or seven 3D ranges of 20 animals each from ground level as high as we can get to the extreme range and people can shoot all day long and it's a, it's, a, it's a fun gathering of like-minded people who are passionate about bow hunting. And we'll have contests for the kids, we'll have little seminars, we'll have a dance, we'll have a band, we'll have shooting. And so it's just fun, so that's a fun thing. Another fun thing is our up-and-coming banquet, which we're going to have in Fort Collins, and that's an award ceremony, but a fundraiser, and I'll talk about that a little bit. But locally, every CBA is divided statewide into regions, and so every region sometimes has a regional shoot. So we have a spring fest that will come up. Fort Collins will have a, a regional shoot up near Leadville. We'll attract 100 and some people there and raise some money for the CBA's infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So there's those types of shoots around. And then we go to the, the SCI show, We'll have a booth there and we have a shooting range there. We'll put 1,200 kids from all different ages through that shooting booth. We will go to Cabela's for an example, and we have these trailers and we have a shooting trailer now that we can actually stand outside and put the Kevlar uh, netting around it and shoot into the booth at 3D animals. And this is a fun thing to do. So we do that at Bass Pro and at Cabela's. And so we're involved in not big box stores, but small boxes are, and we have support from a lot of the uh, uh, archery shops in, t- in the area too. Mm-hmm. So we have our fun side and our political side, and it's just a great group of people. We've got 3000 members, we're always looking for more. What I see happening is that there are so many things that people are involved in from Ducks Unlimited, which I'm a member of, Trout Unlimited, which I'm a member of, Rocky, or Bighorn Sheep Society, Pheasants Forever, Quail Forever, Uh, on and on and on. And I I asked people, I said, well, how long have you been a CBA member? Well, I'm a member of Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation. Well, but that's not a state organization and they don't have your state needs in mind. Mm -hmm. I can understand them doing habitat work and sometimes in Colorado, but they don't have a lobbyist. They don't have a liaison. They don't do this and that. So that's why it's important to support the CBA like other state wild or state bow hunting organizations. Almost every state in
0: I think people need to realize as you're saying this, even if you're an out-of-state hunter, but you like your bow season in Colorado for, you know, whatever amount of thousands of people listening to this, please call in and join the CBA immediately because they're also protecting your rights. And it's not a 50-50 split. I think it's 60-40 or 65 percent in-state to out-of-state bow hunters. There's a lot of out-of-state bow hunters coming well, there, in. Well, there are. There are. And and, uh, and you should join the CBA too, because these guys are protecting your rights as well. It's not just an in-state thing.
1: So yeah. Our, our uh, website is www.coloradobowhunting.org. So if anybody wants to do that, coloradobowhunting.org. Well, so th- we've been around 40, over 50 years, mm-hmm. and we've done a lot to ma- try to to improve bow hunting in Colorado to try to reach out to a variety of ages of bringing in the kids. That's so important, as you know, because mm-hmm. as, as you know, we probably, there used to be at one time, maybe 40% of the United States was hunters. And now it's down to 12%. And Colorado, we're lucky enough to have the t- 10 big game species. We can attract a lot of hunters, but still socially Sometimes hunting isn't acceptable to some people or they don't have time to do it or they weren't raised that way. So so that's what CBA is about. We're here as a statewide organization to support and improve and, and uh, bow hunting opportunities here in Colorado and work with state and federal agencies and develop habitat programs. And so, so I'm a life member and I would never not be a CBA and member.
0: How much is it to, uh, for the membership? It's $35
1: or... for a family.
0: And then how much is a life membership
1: well it's $800 dollars mm-hmm. actually we're auctioning one off at the at the banquet okay a minimum of five so somebody could possibly buy it for five and then there's a three year membership for 75 gotcha. and that's the whole year member yeah ship too. So the banquet just very quickly'm mm-hmm. uh, I'm the I'm the banquet chairman we're gonna have the uh, banquet at the Marriott in Fort Collins on uh, on uh, March seventeenth. Uh, 17th. 17th. We're going to have a Friday night get-together starting at 5 the day before. We're going to expect up to 400 people there. We have uh, uh, guest speakers. Aaron, you're going to be one of them. We have Lou Felipe is going to do one on mule deer hunting. we got uh, Trev- Trevor Salvas is going to be our guest speaker, and he's going to do a breakout. We're going to have a CBA meeting. We're going to have a Division of Wildlife meeting, I think, uh, we're, uh, Bob Roschot, who is the director, and and some of the wildlife commissioners are going to be coming mm-hmm. because that's the cooperation we get. That's that's the credibility that CBA has developed over the years. We're not pounding our chest saying we demand this. We say we want to work with you and see how we can work these things out. Whether it's longer seasons or maybe there's an overlap and see, things like that, we try to work out with it. So we have credibility, and we are a spokesperson for the bow hunters in Colorado. So that's going to go on. Uh, people can. Uh, it's open to the public. If you don't want to go to the dinner that night, you can come and look at the seminars. We're going to have a big trophy wall where people are going to bring in a variety of heads and mounts that they did. I've, I've got a good friend who has a state record whitetail, 194 and change. And he's out of town, but I'm, he said, I can take that and hang it on the wall and, and show that as a state record he took back 30 some years ago. So it's a, it's a great gathering of like-minded, passionate bow hunters that are going to be there. We're going to have a dinner later, like they said. And then we have a silent auction and a raffle. So we've got a couple of African hunts. We have a, a, a Newfoundland moose hunt, a Kansas deer hunt, a couple of pronghorn hunts. Fred Eichler, who is a well-known guy, is, is donating a three-day turkey hunt. He's going to guide it. and You're going to stay at his ranch. And then Wayne Carlton's coming with his new calls um, called uh, Carlton Native Calls. And Wayne's donating a hundred of his calls to CBA with CBA logo on it. And I ask him, would you take your handcrafted elk call and go up and auction it off to everybody? And then he's going to bundle some of his turkey calls with Fred Eichler's hunt. So we're going to bundle things. We've got a lot of nice product for silent auction. We're going to have a ladies' luncheon. We're going to have a teen scene. We're going to have kids' auctions. We're going to have the big raffle and silent auctions. Expect up to 400 people at the Marriott on that day, and it's just going to be a fun time and a good gathering. So,
0: No, that's good. So, well, people definitely obviously come to the banquet. What I don't think most people know, Trevin and I are actually going to wrestle. So you guys will get to see that too. Uh, I'm just kidding. But join the CBA. Um, it is extremely important. And again, not, not only in-state people, but out-of-state. Um, you know, and I, I'm busy. I don't pay attention to as much things as I probably should when it comes to uh, some of the different obstacles you guys run into uh but you're definitely out for our best interest as a bow hunter uh you know from season dates to, to along the lines with everything else so i can encourage enough people to join and the website what was it again it's uh, www.coloradobowhunting.org.org so hop on there and join if you're listening to this and definitely come up and, and visit us at the uh the banquet um I, I'm looking forward to seeing Lou. I, I see Trevin from time to time. I haven't seen Lou in a while. And he's uh, not only a great hunter, he's also probably could have been a comedian. He's a funny dude. And, so.
1: and and I understand you're going to donate a backpack?
0: Yeah, we're probably going to donate more than that. Um, but oh, we'll have a booth up there, but we're going to donate a, a fully kitted out backpack, so frame and bag.
1: Well, that's nice. Um, what we're going to do with that, though, we're going to t- – maybe I could – do you think I can pick that up today?
0: Oh no! It's uh, we, you could pick up something to show off, but it's custom made to okay. your size, so you'll get it'll basically be a dollar amount, okay? That they'll have where they can come in and. It's not really a dollar amount, but you get the idea. It's well, you, a $1,200 package.
1: Okay. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Because I was thinking maybe if you have something else, uh, maybe a smaller version, we could take and, and have bordered on the on the flap or somewhere, mm-hmm. the CBA logo or even the CBA name, and use that as a silent auction. We're going to use that big pack, pack package, though, as a silent auction. Gotcha. As a live auction item. Live so auction. So we'll be able to raise some nice funds for that.
0: Yeah. No, and, and we'll have a booth up there as well, uh, Frank the Tank and Dana. Uh, we'll be manning and womaning the booth, so uh, you'll get to see some of uh, hopefully our new frame will be out by then. And oh, nice. everybody's waiting on. Um, so yeah, it'll be a it'll be a good time. And uh, I, again, it's it's not very really often you get that many like-minded people in one area, so there's always uh, you know good fun and a lot of stories told. So really, you know,
1: it's an award ceremony basically. It's to award those people that have spent a lot of time and effort to support CBA, we have the bow hunter of the year, we have a hall of fame winner, we have rep of the year, statewide rep of the year, we have first-timers awards. We uh, we take the top three Pope and Young measured animals in the 10 categories and give a trophy for those top three people. For somebody who's shot their first animal, they get a first-timers award. We're going to uh, give plaques for those some of those sponsors that have been sponsoring us for over the years. Uh, so. Awarding these people for what they have done for CBA and the accomplishments they've done in the field is very important to maintain that momentum to move forward and grow our organization and bow hunters in Colorado.
0: Definitely, definitely. Well, cool, man. Well, I appreciate uh, you coming on here. I this is the first time Paul and I had had actually met, um, and really only the third time we probably even talked. Um, I knew you from from Bowsite back in the day, just kind of following along. So. Uh, yeah, no, it'll be great. I look forward to doing the, the banquet for the CBA. Everybody join. And again, I appreciate you coming on.
1: It was my pleasure. And I'm anxious to get a little tour of your plant here.
0: Yeah. Yeah. We'll give you the full tour. So, all right, everybody, thanks for tuning in.